You're listening to an IOE podcast. Powered by UCL Minds. Welcome to the UCF staff room. I'm Elaine Long. And I am Mark Quinn. We are programme leaders for the UCL Early Career Teacher Development Programme. Why are we in the staff room? We are here because this is where the best professional learning conversations always take place. This is where problems can be aired bluntly and where solutions can be explored. Over the course of this series, we will hear the voices of different colleagues as they come into the ECF staff room. We will hear from early career teachers themselves and from the mentors and induction tutors who support them. We will talk about all things ECF, the challenges and the joys. So why don't you enjoy a coffee with us, perhaps even grab a biscuit and sit down to half an hour of ECF staff room chat. Welcome to the ECF staff room, Annie and Helen. We're particularly grateful to you for coming in. We know it's your Easter holiday, so we'd like to reward you with a nice drink. But actually, there's no need to ask you what your coffee routine is, because I'm aware there are three people in the staff room that know each other very well. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to have to fess up to this one, aren't we? So, um, uh, Annie, do you want to say it or shall I say it? No, you say it. <laughs> okay, so uh, Annie Annie Powell is my wife, um, and I know what Annie takes for, for her coffee. I, actually, are you going to have a decaf coffee, Annie, or is it if 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 this were your first coffee, would it be a proper full full fat um, uh, caffeinated coffee, or would it be de- decaf? No, not in school. It's always decaf. I get overexcited otherwise. Yeah, I'm like the kids. And 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 Helen is one of our oldest and dearest friends. Actually, not so old, Helen, but um, longest you. serving friends. <laughs> and and you're a bit spoiled when it comes to coffee. Um, mm. how, how do you? Uh, because um, Helen's uh, dear husband Tony is a bit of an aficionado when it comes to making coffee. So he makes only the finest. How do you manage in school, Helen, with coffee? Well, actually, we've just started a little coffee club, and um, we buy bags so we have all the bags of the very nice coffees and we share them out and um, yeah that's our our latest thing so I do get a decent cup of coffee at school because otherwise it would be the instant stuff and that just doesn't hack it I'm afraid. I Mm. am in no way surprised at that no way surprised (laughs) at all yeah apart from having the time to drink it but um well yeah that's uh, another issue but uh so, Helen, I'm not surprised you uh, managed to perfect your coffee routine because I know that you uh, and Annie have been teaching for 29 years. So I'm sure along with perfecting um, your coffee routine, you both have lots of insights about how you perfected your teaching in the classroom as well. And we're really excited about this episode, particularly the opportunity to exploit the wisdom of, of two teachers who have 58 years combined of oh. teaching teaching between them it's not often we get the opportunity to tap into such a rich um source of wisdom so i know our listeners will be really keen to hear about what got you into teaching um and what an average day is is like for you so so annie can i ask you to start us off with that one what took you into teaching what was your route and what's an average day like for you now oh my word um 
Uh, I took a slightly um, circuitous route uh, into teaching because I was actually, after I did my history degree, I worked in offices for a bit and um, I got bored. I mean, I was always the one who did every little extra thing. I did a display or I did whatever. Um, but it was, um, I, I was really not feeling very challenged. And I wanted to do something which involved um, history as well. And I've been doing some adult literacy teaching uh, with a friend of mine who was a primary school teacher. And she was really good and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, OK, well, maybe it's teaching. And but I didn't want to do primary. Um, I wanted to sort of do more with history. So um, I went for secondary um, teaching and um, yeah, it, it's worked out quite well for me overall, <laughs> I think. Um, so at, at the moment, as uh, much as I love teaching history, I'm, I'm teaching loads of sociology. So I've in the last couple of years, I've had to uh, retrain myself, um, you know, and, and become a, um, a sociology specialist, um, which is quite challenging. So I, I'm also on the extended leadership team. So I do lots of, um, you know, duties and things. So basically, I spend most of my day just interacting with um, uh, lots of people. Uh, smaller people and bigger people and um, you know just having a lot of fun really um, not always fun but mostly fun it's good so Helen can I ask <laughs> you the same question what took you into teaching and what's an average day like for you now um so I think part of me always wanted to be a teacher I mean I absolutely loved history had loads of history books had my picture of queen elizabeth the first on my wall for many many years when i was a teenager i did have a few pop stars as well but uh, um i did work a couple of years before i went to uni just in an office went to uni did my history degree and then yeah decided i really did want to be a teacher um so that that that's the route that um, took me in. I worked in uh, mainstreams for quite a few years, but the last 16 years I've been working in a PRU. So, um, although it, there are typical days, they're always very, very different depending on, um, obviously we have our lesson structures and stuff, but depends on how the students are feeling, if we've got something different happening on that day. Um, so yeah, the days are really quite varied. Um, typical day, we do, uh, we have a morning school and an afternoon school. So we have students coming in for the morning and then a new lot for the afternoon. Um, I'm teaching, I'm head of humanities. I'm teaching humanities to key stage three, um, sometimes in GCSE history to people in key stage four or a bit like Annie, I've had to retrain. I do health and social care as well. So um, could be teaching that too. So yeah, definitely very varied. It's interesting over the course of both your careers that your, your subject specialisms have, have sort of evolved and changed. Is that something you welcomed or is that something you, you found difficult? Ooh. <clears throat> um, I think well, I think particularly Helen and I both um, sort of been head of humanities. So you you have to kind of uh, really get into the other subjects that you're um, working with. Um, I kind of um, I had taught sociology once at GCSE for one year a long time ago and then when we lost a sociology teacher my lovely head teacher was like well <laughs> you're the sociology teacher now <laughs> um, you know with, with someone else so um, it's uh, it's a kind of a challenge isn't it, it it's always interesting um, to think okay you're going to learn something new and you know and to begin with you're a bit sort of cautious thinking well you know is it going to be um you know it, it, 
is it going to be as interesting as you hope or is it going to be just lot of work and you're not going to enjoy it um but actually well, it's completely I, from scratch isn't it yeah, yeah that makes it yes you know challenging yes uh, and particularly this year as I'm teaching more of the A-level as well um just you know the the um and, and it is so much just me at uh, this time you know I'm lucky I can ask other colleagues uh, but there's no one who's just you know the sociology specialist in the school um how, how different is the the pedagogy from one subject to another when you think about back to you know that day in September 1994 when the three of us sat in a room of 15 others whatever it was learning how to be history teachers we were sort of filled with those notions of what it is to be a history teacher like there's you know there's never too many timelines for example right so but when you if you're if you're teaching geography or if you're teaching uh um health and social care or if you're teaching sociology surely they've got sort of different underpinnings don't they how how do you learn that stuff if you you don't come to it from from the perspective of a geographer or the perspective of a sociologist but that that's your experience isn't it again i think that after after a while you, you are a teacher and within okay. reason i think you can pick up any subject and you can understand the pedagogy behind it um and work out you know what what's what's needed but again that's something that when you go into teaching you think I can do my subject but then how on earth can I do another subject but mm. after time you can pick up other things yeah yeah I mean how children learn is is the same isn't it so you're mm. you're using lots of ideas but with different content um I'm, I'm trying to think of some particular things obviously um you know I'm, I'm teaching sociology and I desperately miss those timelines um and I can't resist <laughs> every now and again saying and it used to be like this and a hundred years ago and it, you know and actually you know you're just adding to the the context aren't you of of their understanding so um you know I, I think possibly everyone should try and teach some other subjects and be really familiar with some other subjects um you know how they're taught because you gain stuff don't you I know obviously we've all done a lot of observing of other teachers like young teachers and you always go away thinking well that was a really good idea I'm going to try that now or or even something where you think oh I haven't done that for I used to do that I haven't done that for years you know I must try and bring that into a history lesson or bring it into a sociology lesson um it's it's all good ideas isn't it it's all um uh it's all learning it's all young people you know their brains growing so and it is looking for the links, isn't it, as well? Like you say, you're linking mm -hmm. things together and mm -hmm. you take something from one subject and use it in another subject. Yeah, I definitely yeah. definitely do that. Definitely, yeah. And it really helps the kids then because they, they see in the links just makes the learning deeper, doesn't it? Mm. Okay, so you, you might be teaching them sociology, but you're smuggling a bit of history in there as well? or Always, same, always, always. Okay. And do you still have your poster of Elizabeth in your classroom, Helen, or is that hidden somewhere else? Actually, I've absolutely no idea where that is. But um, no, no, because it's humanities now. We have to have a few things, you know, globes and stuff like that. But uh, so, so yeah. you mentioned observation, and I'm going to we're going to get to our first proper question now. And and I should say that um, obviously this is the ECF staff room. Elaine and I represent the UCL. Uh, career framework program but you too don't N neither of you use our program in your schools i don't know how you betrayed me quite so badly but you did <laughs> um but we, you, you're not here representing our program and that's actually part of the reason why you're here because 
um, we think you know you, you you bring a completely different perspective or uh, to you know people who might be listening to this podcast who are doing our program. And in particular, what what uh, Elaine and I both spotted on Twitter, there were some questions started coming in from from ECTs who clearly wanted uh, an answer from a more experienced teacher. Maybe they were ECTs in schools where they didn't have um, a colleague who'd been teaching for 29 years. So we've got a couple of questions like that for you that we're going to pose to you first. And the first of those is, um, how do you raise your spirits after an observation that you don't think went that well and having to wait until tomorrow morning for the feedback? Well, there's um, nothing worse, is there? Nothing worse. Um, I think we've probably all had that sinking feeling. Yep. We've all known those observations. Um, I think it's important to do reflecting and probably, you know, you come out the observation, you know, it's not going to happen until tomorrow to get the feedback. But I've always sort of thought, right, you know, obviously what happened? Why did it happen? You've got your, you know, your what went well as well, though. I think that's important to, to try and put that on there. But if you have that discussion with yourself, you're then ready the next day to have the discussion with whoever's done the observation. Um, and I think it's then important, really important to try and park it, which I know is difficult mm -hmm. because you're probably still thinking about it, but you can't change anything. It's happened. You've done your reflection. Now you need to just think, right, OK, let's leave that till tomorrow. And uh, then hopefully your spirits will be raised and don't think about it too much. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think it is if you can talk it over with someone, I think that's really helpful. Um, you know, you sort of talk through it and think, you know, reflect, think about what you would do differently. Um, and so that when you have that conversation the next day, you're actually going to be really ready for it. Yeah. Um, you you can actually really take on board any advice that you're given, but also that you've already kind of taken a certain amount of ownership. You know, if there was something that didn't quite work as well you've really got some sense of how you're going to improve it next time, what it is that you're going to do. Um, and so you're no longer out of control waiting for something awful to be done to you, you know, the sort of Damocles over your head. You've actually sort of moved on and taken control and next time it will be better. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd really agree with that as well, because because it's hard because you're sitting there thinking, you know, if only I could go back to that moment. But actually, mm -hmm. what you've still got the opportunity to do and what, what's not been lost is your ability to, to show um, whoever was observing the lesson how self-reflective you can be. Yeah. And, and actually, in many senses, that's a very powerful thing to, to show somebody and a really difficult skill to have as, as a teacher, because in so many ways for for teachers, your sense of, of self and vulnerability is so wrapped up in your teaching that sometimes it's it's hard to separate it mm -hmm. and divide mm -hmm. the two. But if you can separate it and realise that that lesson isn't you, it's just one lesson in a whole series of lessons across your career and, and that actually it's a real opportunity for you to show the observer that you can learn from your mistakes and be reflective um, in, in many ways that that's one way of thinking about it that, that might might help. I guess it's the, it's the reason why you might leave it till the following morning, you know, why the observer might say, go home, I'll talk to you tomorrow about this, because you need to have that distance. And although you, you're right, Helen, you might sort of worry about it, you might even lose a bit of sleep over it. But but actually, the point is to 
is to separate yourself out that little bit from the incidents mm -hmm. or the events that took place during the lesson mm -hmm. and think again about what I might have done differently or what I did well or create that sort of critical distance. Um, it's tough though, isn't it? It's tough. Yeah. Um, and of course, if you're an early, an early career teacher or new teacher into the profession, then all the feedback is taken as criticism really, isn't it? You know, there's always a feeling that um, it's never as good as it should be. Um, there's always more that I could do better. And that, that's that's quite hard, you know, to take that on board when you're a new teacher, isn't it? Uh, when, when you when you're giving feedback, do you, do you bear that in mind as you're giving feedback to, to new teachers? Uh, yeah, I think um, it, it's always really good if the teacher can actually um, tell me, um, you know, rather than again having it done to them so I, I might encourage the conversation and I certainly try to encourage them to sort of be reflective um, and and I a lot of my feedback I'm often ask, asking questions you know so why, why did you do it like that why was that better are there other ways you could have done it um, because actually what I want them to do is not feel bad that you know there's something they could have done brilliantly and, and didn't but actually um, to be thinking about there are different ways. I did it this way this time um, and it might be worth trying out something different next time. Even, you know, that may or may not be better, but, you know, you, you, you don't just repeat the same thing every time. It's I think the whole point. Oh, sorry. No, go on, Helen. No, I was going to say the whole point of, you know, feeding back from an observation is to be supportive, isn't it? Mm. And it's still this dreaded, um, thing that's going to happen and people worry about it and that is only natural but hopefully we really want to create a culture when we're, we're feeding back you know how can we support and like I think Mark mentioned before or Annie mentioned before we're learning aren't we from others as well when we're observing them we always come out of something we can use ourselves so the fact that um, you know we need to try and be as supportive as possible and create that kind of, of culture rather than the, maybe the critical culture I was going to say as well, it's funny because when I look back over the, the course of my career and, and the, the different uh, sorts of feedback I've had, actually, if I'm really honest with myself, it's it was the most um, difficult feedback at the time that probably made me the best teacher I am. So at the time, yeah. I didn't appreciate the feedback. In fact, I'm, I might have even chunted a bit about it with my friends afterwards. I might even have gone home and cried a, a, about the feedback. But actually, when I look back with, with a distance of, of 20 years on that feedback that I remember getting as a really <laughs> teacher, I can um, I can remember now that it's probably that, that feedback that, that actually forced me to do better and be better and as harsh as it was at the time you can normally take something from feedback um, that helps you grow but it is really difficult so I think in no other career would you have an observation where someone looks that intently at what you're doing I think it's, it's quite particular I would say that to my husband as well with his job you know someone's to stand over your shoulder and observe every action it's quite affronting isn't it mm -hmm. and I think that that is unique to teaching and it, it is it is something quite powerful about it but but also quite difficult and, and that brings us on to our next question because teaching is hard we know teaching is is really really hard and particularly in the early years when you're learning and you don't have the, the benefit of, of, of 20 30 years experience to, to fall back on it can feel like it might never get any better so so the next question another commonly asked question 
is that ECTs keep hearing the phrase, it will get better when, for example, when you build relationships with the kids, when you complete your first term, after your first uh, parents evening, when a unicorn tap dances across the classroom. And I, I think that answer feels quite frustrating um, when you're starting out to just constantly hear it will get better. So the question is, seriously, when does it actually get better? Hmm, it's a tough yeah. one. I was literally just having this conversation with um, a first year ECT, actually, uh, and she was making the joke that, um, you know, well, she's got through two thirds of her first year. And obviously, after the first year, everything gets easy. It's all easy, isn't it? Perfect. Um, not really. I think every year, I mean, your first year of, you know, being ECT is is just it's a lot of survival, isn't it? It's a lot of um you, you are so surrounded by people, both, you know, grown up people and, and younger people, um, all wanting things, demanding things. And in no other career, really, are you quite so intensely, you know, sort of surrounded by people um, who will need th something from you. Um, so, you know, that there is a certain level in which you're getting through on sort of adrenaline and, and survival mode. And you are learning so many skills and so much content as well because you might be teaching all sorts of things that you you know you might have in our case a history degree but you're teaching stuff that you you know was nothing no part of your history degree um and even if it's at key stage three you do have to know something be a page ahead of the kids in the textbook or something um so uh so it, it's it was such an intense year and then hopefully the next year you've got a lot of the basic skills and you can have that, you know, heave a sigh at the end of that first year, go away on your summer holidays. But then you start thinking about what you're going to do even better. And I think, you know, the the kind of best young teachers that I see are the ones who um, then really want to recognise that, that that's, that's when they've got to work really hard, that that's when they want to actually get good. You know, they might be pretty all right. Um, but, you know, you don't want to just stay at that point, do you? You want to sort of really improve and get better. So, I mean, <laughs> sorry, my, my dog wants to join in the conversation as well. Sorry about that. <laughs> yes, she is. She, she's uh, agreeing. Um, but then at, at every point of your career, you know, and, and Helen and, and you guys and I, we've all done this at different points in your career. There are different challenges, aren't there? Mm -hmm. So it might be that you've taken on a new role in school. Um, it might be that you suddenly got to teach health and social care or sociology when that really wasn't your background or what you had part of your plan. Um, it could be other commitments. You know, you're going to run in the Boston Marathon and you've got to somehow squeeze a little bit of training in somehow, as one of my colleagues does. Um, or, it might, you know, you've got a growing family or something like that. So every year we'll have challenges. And that's part of what makes it interesting, because you're never bored. There's always something you you're not just going to repeat what you did every year for the last 10 years. Yeah, never I mean, bored, I'd echo never what bored, Ali, you never Ali bored. Said. No, never <laughs> bored. Definitely never bored. I mean, teaching is just this complex, multitasking career that there's always something new to learn. And I, when I was thinking about, you know, does it does it get easier? Like like Annie said, it it does if you you know after the first year you've obviously got a few tricks up your sleeve and you may well have um, 
you know you've done some planning so that makes it a little bit easier the, the following year because you may only have to tweak and not completely write a whole new scheme of work but um things are thrown at you over different times and then you do have to respond to that um but you evolve don't you as a teacher you you without even knowing I mean I couldn't give a magic date but suddenly you do have this kind of um you develop your emotional resilience so you know um you can you can keep going on stuff things don't get to you quite so much um your your instinct becomes more honed you can see what the behavior of the students is you can pick up on what's happening without even looking in that direction you know what's going on um same with the the lessons you're doing a lesson and you instinctively know whether or not it's working and if it's not you've got something up your sleeve so all of that happens over time and that's what the experience is and it's going to happen at different time for different people so bits get easier definitely but equally there's always challenges but that's what makes it great that's what makes it it's never boring there's always something else to do um that you're challenging yourself so you're always learning as well alongside the students is it, you said bits is it, does it always you know when when you are learning how to do this thing it just feels like lots and lots and lots of bits doesn't it so you've got the, yes. the bits of the curriculum you've got to teach and there's the the bits about getting the children into the classroom or sitting down or listening to you or answering questions or you know that those are all bits and of course with a framework like our framework there's a whole more a whole lot of other bits that they've got to learn about and learn how to do and it can feel like that can't it but i suppose once you use you use the word instinct helen once once you start once these things once these bits start to become part mm-hmm. of your instinct then they get easier to do you start actually maybe start even thinking about the bits you're, you're thinking above those you, you actually start looking at the children themselves and thinking well actually how are they learning rather than what mm-hmm. am i doing um yeah. uh but yeah but it, but it doesn't happen all at once there are very very few teachers i've ever met um i mean new teachers had it from the beginning i mean very very few uh, it, it would it would take it it does take it does take it can take as you say it takes a different amount of time for different people yeah I would, I'd say the complexity of of the role never changes that illustrated by by both of you having to, to pick up and, and learn new subjects but maybe there's something in the ability to, to cope with that and the complexity and I was thinking of a bit like juggling when you get the balls juggling mm-hmm. once you've got them juggling in a routine you can keep throwing in more balls and drop them but you have to get those balls going in a pattern first of all otherwise you're going to drop all the balls and that's that's really hard to get yourself in that initial routine where you're coping um with all the bits the bits at at once but for me yeah it it was about confidence I remember all of a sudden I think I spent my first year just thinking what am I doing and who's going to come through the door and find out about me and say you've got absolutely (laughs) no business being a teacher because you don't know what you're doing so I felt like I was sort of in an episode of faking it (laughs) for a whole year and then I remember gradually as I went on I came back in in my second year and kind of felt like no I do have a right to be here and I do belong here and I think that sense of belonging and uh, feeling more comfortable for me was was when it clicked into place but I think it is different um, for different people. And I think it's important to say that it's okay to feel lacking in confidence it's okay Mm. to feel that this is Mm. hard that it does feel like the bits that don't you know it's okay not to have it as your instinct yet you know it will take time um 
and, and no one should feel no no new teacher or even not just new teacher, you know, teacher, the people might be in their second or in their third year and they're still finding aspects of the job really quite difficult to become, you know, become habitual. They shouldn't feel, you know, you shouldn't feel bad about that. You know, that that's that's just most people can't do this job. Most people are not cut out for this job. It takes a special few who are good enough to be teachers. And uh, thankfully, we've got, you know, many thousands who still want to be teachers. And what? even if even if you are good uh, as a teacher, you won't be good at absolutely everything. There will be all sorts of things that are not your strength. And as time goes on, you learn ways around it, don't you? So never give me a year seven group where I have to count up the credits because I can't do it. But I can get a kid. I can get a kid to do it, you know. Yeah, that's very true. And also acknowledging you're part of a team and drawing on that that team dynamic, because like you say, when you, you're team planning, you might not all be good yet at, at certain aspects of the curriculum, but there'll be someone on on the team who you can draw on um, that is. So it doesn't have to be seen as, as a sort of solo game all the time, although it can feel like it when you close your classroom door and you're on your own with, um, you know, 30 children who sometimes don't always want want to learn what you're teaching them. But, so, but it is a so team talk, game as well. And talking about team, mm. the next question is about that, really. It's about when the team is a bit of a problem for you. So um, it's interesting because both, both of you um, have been in our heads of department and so you'll have had teachers in your department who maybe didn't like teaching the way you were telling them they had to teach so so from the perspective of uh, an early career teacher uh, who doesn't agree with the way their head teacher wants them to teach lessons um what what do you do in that situation what 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 you know how would you advise early career teachers who find themselves in that position today I would say sort of communication is key, really. You need to you need to talk to your head of department. I mean, it depends on what the situation is, but if you're being told to teach something in a particular way, what what's the reasoning behind it? Mm. Um, so if 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 you can work out what what their reasoning is and obviously have some um, consideration that they have a bit of experience as well. So you may, want to blend your ideas with their ideas and see if you can um, talk to them about how you can both work together in that way. Um, I think, I mean, I've always been lucky. My heads, my first head of department when I was a, an NQT, she was brilliant. We had, there were two of us who were history NQTs and she just let us go with it. She was always, you know, try this, do that. What do you want to do? Yeah, that'll work. And um, I think I was, I was really lucky and my other heads of department have also been of that ilk so um yeah a person i haven't actually experienced being told what to do so i think it's um it's a difficult position if you're in it especially if you are um uh, an ect because you know it's quite a big thing to say to someone i don't like the way you're you're doing that and, and challenging that but there are ways around it but i think you you need to talk and you need to come up with ideas of your own and sort of present those yeah, I agree. It could be that your um, your head of department might be trying to save you from yourself because they've spotted a, you know, a flaw in your logic. Um, so talking about it, talking it through, maybe compromising, maybe maybe if you've got a particular thing you want to try out, maybe you do that, you know, with support from them, you know, maybe with a particular class that is particularly malleable. Um, and obviously, if they are your head of department, then, you know, at the end of the day, I guess you've got to compromise and listen to what they're saying to you. Um, but also, you know, the whole purpose of a, you know, 
being in your early career is that you do try things out. So you should be given opportunities to, you know, take some risks, you know, with support and uh, try some things out. Um, and some of them will work and some of them won't. Um, so you should have the chance to try something. But do listen to your head of department because they may have spotted that that's not the right class to do that with or not the right topic. You know, communicate, as Helen says, find out why it is that they don't really want you to teach it in that way. Yeah, I, I want this is one of the <coughs> questions that came from Twitter. And you can only we can only guess what might have been lying behind mm. the question, because uh, this is an ECT who, uh, whether they're on our programme or one of the other um, programmes, is obviously learning about the early career framework. And that's got a particular set of, you know, there's research behind that. And so I can only imagine that she's going into her job and she feels that she's got sort of some of the latest research behind her as she's uh, teaching these particular ways. And maybe she's in a department that's um, got a different perspective on some of this research or perhaps isn't aware of the same research. And so I can imagine that this is a situation that some of our early career teachers will be in because they'll be teaching in schools or in departments that have their own approaches to um uh, to pedagogy or to uh, curriculum building or whatever it might be. So you can you can see that this could be the case. And, you know, we know that there are uh, schools and families of schools out there that have uh, particular centralised curriculums and they think that they've worked out what what they feel are the best ways of teaching. Um, but, a new, you know, a new person joining that school might be coming with, you know, filled with new ideas or different ideas which might come from the framework. So, so you're lucky, Helen, if you've never been told mm. how to teach. <laughs> I think um, if if there is another ECT, I mean, H Helen was lucky to be with another um, NQT as we were then, and I had the same experience. Yeah. I mean, I I had um, I had a slightly different head of department, which I can't really talk about, but it was <laughs> pretty uh -huh. awful. But in an odd way, he didn't tell us what to do because. Um, <laughs> Uh, he wasn't very interested, shall we say, to put it very politely. Um, but, you know, if, if you've got another ECT to work with, you you might be able to um, support each other and uh, bounce some ideas around. Uh, and that's kind of one of the great things about having early career teachers in a department, isn't it? Or in, in the school as a whole, in that you bring lots of ideas and lots of enthusiasm and some energy. And um, then we all sort of learn and nick your best ideas. Yeah, and I, I also think, however, sort of, and you, you, you know, one would presume the curriculum is carefully crafted by the head of department because that that is their their job to think about a well sequenced um, curriculum for the students. But but what I always liked about about teaching is your role in the classroom always involves an important part of ownership, which, which is you thinking about how you contextualise that curriculum for your students and whatever is you're teaching how how that works for your students and so maybe that's that's a, a a good way in mm -hmm. um to the conversation as well which which brings us to our, our next question um which is asked a lot understandably um by, by ECTs and I know it was, it was something I thought a lot about when when I was training and I'm sure we've all had this feeling I know I've had this feeling on the way to work which is that sense of dread you've got because of a certain class you have to teach and it's not going well and the behavior of the students in that class is not good and you dread it from the moment you wake up and you worry about it constantly to the moment that it happens. How, how do you manage that? How do you deal with that? 
Um, I think partly it's what Helen was saying about how you build up a certain amount of resilience um, because I did have a class like that, a year 11 group last year, um, who, you know, had that effect on me. And and actually individually, if I was talking about, you know, the actual students in, in that class, individually they were, you know, all interesting. Most of them were absolutely great kids. But as a, a combination of students, it was just the most challenging group um, that I've taught in a long while. And of course, I was absolutely desperate to get them um you know good GCSE grades because uh, they were year 11 um and it does it, it so absorbs so much of your time that it's um it is exhausting but you do you build a certain amount of resilience um over the time um I know it's often said but if you can get to know the students individually you know maybe away from the classroom setting it really does help um, you know, because they start to see you not as the person sort of looking sort of really mean and nasty at the front, but, you know, that you're actually interested in them. So you, you build up those relationships um, and try and if particularly if it's uh, lower down the school where they're maybe a form group, um, try and observe someone else teaching them. Which I know in your, if you're in primary school, that might be extremely challenging to do if you've got a particularly difficult group. Um, but it, it's always good to see someone else, how they handle, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, a challenging group um, and, and, and do talk about it. You know, don't just feel like you're being overwhelmed and you can't share with people um, because I think that that's actually quite unhealthy because sometimes people get into a, you know, dig themselves into a real hole. Um, what do you think, Helen? You have the most challenging children, don't you? We do have quite challenging children. Um, I definitely echo what you said about a relationship. Um, I mean, teaching at a PRU, we do have um, individuals that we need to get to learn. We need to, to, to sort of get to know them and build up some kind of relationship and look for a way in. I mean, even just a couple of weeks ago, I was struggling with one individual and I was asking my colleagues, what do you think? You know, how, how do you get this person to um, even respond to you and you know everybody comes up with different ideas but you know oh do you know he really likes cars or do you know he really likes football and so that that's kind of a, a way in but um, yeah I think it's it's what Annie said about um, you know talk to other people there's going to be other ECTs there's going to be your mentor there's going to be other colleagues and you can guarantee that nine times out of ten everybody is having problems with similar class mm. you know it's, it's not just going to be you I think um so you shouldn't you shouldn't be um afraid to ask for help um you are you are learning and uh, I mean like I said you know I ask for help sometimes because you just mm. you're at a loss if you really mm -hmm. can't work out you know a way in with the group think about um going observing going and seeing how other other staff deal with them um yeah, and I think when you're actually teaching, as long as you plan, plan, plan on the teaching as well, yeah. think about different ways of, you know, how can I engage this class? How can I get them as soon as they come in? Get the snappy starter, all yeah. of, you know, the sort of the, the teaching side of things as well and the relationship side of things and just keep keep plodding away. It's not going to happen overnight. It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. a slow burn, but, you know, you can get there with classes, definitely. Yeah. And very often that's a class. If you're off on a training or something for a day and you miss their lesson, those those will be the kids who are the most outraged that you weren't there. <laughs> it's weird that, isn't it? Yeah, that is the funniest thing, isn't it? How, how did you manage that, Elaine? 
I, for me, what often works is, is I actually simplified my lessons quite a lot sometimes when I had challenging classes. But I think that's because I knew that I had to devote quite a lot of attention to behaviour. So I often, you know, had a very simple task that they were doing, which they could do on their own, which then allowed me, it then allowed me that banking time to walk mm. around the classroom and have yeah. the one-to-one -one chat. So I kind of made room in the lesson actually for that. So, you know, I was an English teacher, so they'd be doing a writing task or something, which allowed me to walk around the room and build those relationships, have those conversations. The other thing I used to do and again, I don't know whether this translates to other subjects, but the thing I always found in the English classroom was give them a sense of success. So the hardest class I ever took on, and I knew they were uh, not confident at English, um, quite low prior attainment, is that they wrote, and again, this is quite labour intensive, so I'm not suggesting everyone go away and do this, but, but they wrote stories and I typed them up for them. And we spent ages just going over these stories and me giving them feedback. And I made sure that every single person in the class had a successful story. And once I'd got that and they had the confidence, then I built from there. So for me, it is about kind of simplifying your lesson. And I, I mean, I guess, you know, that was adapting the curriculum somewhat, but, but I felt they needed it because I just personally felt with that group of kids that until they felt a sense of success and until I could build that relationship based on look we've done that together and we have that sense of success and they they kind of move forward from there they still gave me lots of cheek all year but <laughs> <laughs> and lots of funny stories but we kind of went from there yeah so I yeah I, I think actually actively planning it in your lesson that, that kind of time to have those one-to-one -one discussions and and build relationships and, and give lots of positive feedback but also reinforce rules as well because sometimes you do just need to you know take be able to take a step back in the classroom and, and just watch what's going on and actually make sure that the, the, the students that are doing the right thing are being rewarded and the students that aren't doing the right thing are understanding that they're doing the wrong thing and sometimes you have to give yourself time and space to be able to actively um do that and, and build that in i think i remember being told once by i think it might be my first head of department actually he said to me um uh, never let them feel that you've given up on them. Mm. Mm. Uh, and, yeah. and actually, I was thinking of you, Helen, because obviously you are teaching uh, lots of children that who do feel that they've been given up on. That's that's you know one of the reasons why they've they've ended up in a in a referral unit. That you know the schools they've been in have struggled so hard to keep them in their school, but they've not it's not succeeded for them. So they've 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 come to you for another chance. And you mustn't give up on them, you know, even if it's as hard as it might be, you mustn't give up on them. And I think that's true of all of us, isn't it? As hard as that is, you know, and as, as energy sapping as it can be or as emotion sapping as it can be, um, never to give the impression of any child that you've that you've dismissed them. Just that's it. Mm -hmm. And which is why you were typing up those stories. Mm -hmm. It's yep. funny what you said about you said Annie there about those kids actually being the ones you, you like the most because I remember I I started at a new school and I was quite an experienced teacher, but I think everyone that's an experienced teacher will know that when you start at a new school it feels like you're starting from day one or at least it did oh, to yeah. me because you, you know you have no automatic respect in school and I had a disastrous week with my year eights and I felt you know mortified at the lack of effort and I thought oh they all hate me because I lost my temper and I shouted at them and it all gone badly and then I was out on the weekend and I bumped into one of the students and I thought oh 
you know, this is, this is all I need in my weekend. And I'll never forget the brightest smile. And he was so pleased to see me. And he, he talked excited about his lessons. And I know it sounds really, really silly, but it just made me rethink that these, these are a group of teenagers. Mm. I shouldn't take it personally. They don't hate me because I shouted at them. They've forgotten about it. Actually, they had moments in the lesson that they thought were good. And it just completely reframed my thinking. And that that's probably a really silly example, but um, it, it does make you think that often you can take away stuff from the lesson, mm. that the students just, they, they don't take it away in the same way yeah. um, in terms of behaviour. Mm. Uh, which brings me on to the next question, actually, which is you must have, uh, I know you're the people that we're asking to give advice now, and I'm sure people often go to you for mm -hmm. advice, but you must have had people pass on advice to you throughout the course of your careers, um, which, is, which is good and bad. And I'm interested in what's the best piece of advice you've, you've ever been given, Annie? Um, I've had so much advice and I couldn't think of it was really hard to narrow down one of the things which did pop into my head was something which really sustained me in the first of couple of years of um, my career which was uh, uh, we got um, during our PGC training actually uh, Chris Husband um, sort of was quite clear about you know you learn how to plan lessons you know in with your key stage three classes and actually it's exactly the same for key stage four and key stage five you're not doing something utterly different it's still learning and it's still learning about content in our case history so get the objectives right and just teach them lessons just because they're 18 years old you know they're still children learning um and so I still try and when I'm planning lessons um you know which you don't have to do so much now because you've got lots of things on the system but you still end up having to do some um you know I I just think what's a good lesson how can I do some interesting activities to get you know to build their understanding and develop you know basic on their sort of prior learning and so on and you know it shouldn't be different whether it's you know like a seven-year-old or an 18-year-old um, it's still children learning isn't it do you know remember I remember him giving exactly that same advice and I, I we, pro we probably all feel this because Helen and you and I were on teacher replacement together weren't we and I remember we were given lots of GCSE and A-level classes to teach. And we thought we weren't prepared to do this. We didn't get any, mm. any tuition from Dr. Chris Husbands and how to teach A-level. <laughs> and I remember going back into this the session at UEA and saying, Chris, 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 can you teach us how to teach A-level? And he did exactly what you said, Annie. He said that, mm. you know, it's the, well, I taught you how to teach GCSE, um, Key Stage it's 3. It's, it's not it's not so very different. And he, he wasn't so very wrong, was he? No, I remember that feeling of dread when we had those A-level classes, <laughs> thinking, oh, I have no idea. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's true, isn't it? You, you're teaching the children, you're, you know, you're looking at the learning and it, it is all the same, but it's just the different content, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think A-level can be more about getting, getting your head around the, the content as well, because it's... Um... Well, it definitely was in terms of English more, more complex and more difficult and it was more about focusing on my sort of subject knowledge um, mm. as well when I was teaching A-level. Um, oh, over to you, Mark, I think, for the next question. Well, um, you know, with nearly 60 years of teaching between you, something funny must have happened. So, so you know, we there are, there are things you can tell us and things that you can't tell us. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but have you... Uh, it, 
they're, they're, you know, it's a very serious job, and this has been a very serious podcast. Mm. So uh, any, any, oh, and you know, we've also got a therapy dog in the background there, <laughs> and Annie. Um, any lighter moments you can share share with us that you have from your time? Yeah. She's also she's usually really good when I'm sitting at my desk. No, go to bed. And um, she normally ignores me um, when I've I've gone to uh, my desk because she knows I'm being boring and working. Um, but she's a bit puzzled by this. Um, I think a couple of things occurred to me. One is that the only other time she's actually intruded on a meeting, I was on a, um, a HODS, an SLT meeting, but because I wasn't working the day, I was doing it remotely for various reasons. And uh, Mark was uh, working in the desk, so I was in the front room. And so I had to sit on the sofa and the dog could not get her head around this. And she literally kept joining in to my HODS SLT meeting to the point where the, the head was talking about counselling and offered to buy a therapy dog for the kids if it helped. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. the other thing which happened very early on um, in my career as, as uh, a supremo of uh, the history department, head of department, um, I was actually at home. And my uh, colleague, my, my junior colleague, accidentally uh, dialed my number while she was teaching, uh, not, not conscious of it. And I could hear her teaching and she was doing some really nice stuff. <laughs> uh, so I eventually managed to sort of cut the phone uh, line off and I phoned the school switchboard and gave her some notes on her lesson, including <laughs> asking her to turn her phone off. Which she much appreciated. Did, did you grade her lesson as well, Annie? Did you, did you give her... Oh, it was outstanding. It was outstanding. <laughs> Excellent. Helen? Well, yes, working in a pro, um, <laughs> there's probably quite a few things that uh, I'd love to tell you about, but uh, I won't. Um, I, was, I was having a, a think about this, and we're going back to, to mainstream days now, so a few years ago, and um, it was a sports day, and um, I noticed that a whole, we were all, all the kids are sat on the field and they have to sit in their form groups. But there was a, a group of year 11 girls that absolutely refused to sit on the field in their form group. They're up against the wall in the shade. So as head of year, I was sent over to, you know, go and investigate, see what was going on. And um, speaking to them, you know, why, why aren't you going to go and sit with your form group? What's the problem? Well, miss, it's really sunny and we don't want our eyebrows, eye, eyebrows to melt. So, <laughs> So that's why they were sat in the shade. So uh, not quite a teaching story, but it made me giggle. I think that's perfectly reasonable. <laughs> so sadly, because we know um, you've given up your time uh, in your holiday, so we want to let you return to your holiday. But it'd be remiss of us to let you go without asking our final question that we ask everybody, which is that we like to give you a post-it note to write some advice on for somebody else. And you can stick this post-it note, this metaphorical post-it note, um, anywhere you like and you you can write any piece of advice you want on it. So, for example, it, it could go on our desk here at UCL or it could go on a desk um, somewhere else. or it could go on a desk of an early career teacher. So, Annie, I'm going to pass you the metaphorical post-it note. And I'd like you to I'd like you to uh, tell us what you're going to write on it and where you'd like to stick it. Um, I'm really rubbish at this, but. Um, I would like to give it to all the ECTs um, who might be listening and I would just uh, write on it, you know, really enjoy what you're doing. Sometimes when you're under so much pressure, it's really hard to actually do that. 
Um, but, you know, this is a career that can go on. You, you know, you don't have to burn out. Uh, it can go on for quite a long time. So really find the pleasure in flight, find the fun and fly, find the enjoyment in, you know, ev every day. Try and find something that um, will sustain you and keep you going, um, you know, for those moments when you have the nightmare from hell or something goes wrong. Um, because it is fun, actually, for all that it is really tough, really hard work. You know, if you can crack it at all, it's brilliant. So enjoy it. Thank you. I'm sure that that's going to be wildly read and wildly appreciated as well. Um, Helen, has me your post-it note. Thank you. Um, I think I put this up in, in every staff room. And I would say, um, learn to use the expertise of your colleagues. We're a great bunch, whether that's um, stuff in the classroom or whether it's having a chat in the staff room, you know, being amongst a supportive staff and um, knowing, you know, who's got the answer to various things. You can't beat that. You know, it's 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 something that if you know you're all in it together, that makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah, yep. that, that, that's why we called this the ECF staff room. You know, mm. we wanted to replicate this notion of having one space where colleagues uh, experienced and less experienced come and meet together. And as it's a staff room and at the end of our session, I can hear a bell ringing. I can hear that bell as well. <laughs> <laughs> Which is telling us that the caretaker wants us to go home and, um, and make dinner and uh, see our children again and spend our time with our dog. Um, um, uh, uh, Helen, uh, lovely to see you again. Um, uh, we'll have to get um, make an arrangement to bump into each other again in a caravan in Norfolk sometime soon. Definitely. Um, uh, a love to the family as well. Um, Annie, I'll see you in a couple of hours, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you for your time, both of you. Thank you so much for letting us bask in your wisdom. Thank uh -huh. you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Bye. Thank you. Our thanks go to Annie Powell from the Erswick School in Hackney and Helen Lugger from Northeast Essex Cooperative Academy for sharing coffee with us this week in the ECF staff room. We're particularly grateful to them for giving us the benefit of their wisdom of their 58 years experience. And in fact, we've just worked out that if we add Mark and I's experience in the classroom to it, it makes 100 years of teaching experience between us. So hopefully you'll all be able to benefit from those 100 years. As usual, please do get in touch with us if you'd like to talk about your ECF experience. We especially want to hear from a range of different voices. And in the meantime, we hope you join us next time for a biscuit and a chat with another colleague in the ECF staff room. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast. 